written thousands of years ago. Every page, every story, inspired from God. Do they apply to me? Is the Old Testament obsolete? With Pastor Jim Scudder Jr. Don't you hate it when things go obsolete? Especially if you just start to really get it and understand it and, and you're good at it. And then your kids smirk and laugh at you and say, why are you so old-fashioned? Why are you still using that? You could use this. Well, we have a series called, Is the Old Testament Obsolete? And I will just spoil it for you and say no. <laughs> Uh, but there are things that have gone obsolete. And we have an item up here that one of you brought to us. And we're looking for other items. If you have something that you have at home, and it's something that you know what it is, but your kids or grandkids have no clue, please bring it to us. You could uh, bring it to the Connect Centers. You could bring it to my wife, Karen, any of our pastors, uh, and, and just say, hey, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to submit this. You say, well, what do you get out of it? You get the satisfaction of educating people. How does that sound? But I do need a kid volunteer. Are there any kids in the room that want to volunteer? Okay, right there. Have you done it before? No? Okay, come on up. You have done it? All right, is there someone else that wants to do it that hasn't had a chance? Any other kids? You're pointing at somebody. I don't see any hands though. Oh, right there. Come on up. Let's give them a hand. Are you ready? Are you sure? Okay, stand on this side and be kind of careful when I bring this thing off. Okay, ready? Okay, what is that? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold that. Okay, what is it? Uh, so they didn't have computers back in the day, so they would, so they would type this. They would actually type. Is that what you're telling me? So what is this called? computer. I love you. I absolutely love you. Okay. What is this called? Everybody know you've seen these before? Yeah. What, what is this? Do you know? A tape. A tape. Yes. Uh, kind of. Okay. So this is a typewriter. Some of you are old fogies too. So when I was your age, the computer wasn't I'm sure it might have been around, but it wasn't in the home yet, okay? And this is what, maybe not this one, we had electric typewriters, but we used typewriters. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so what's your name? Cade. Okay, Cade, you're going to spell your name, and we're actually going to do a, a typing here. So find your first letter. Now, you got to push it. No, just do your first name, and do it really hard. Um, you got to push it really hard, okay? Go. Hold on, get that audio. Hold on, do it again. Oh, not, no, not the same one. Uh, did it? Okay. And push it really hard. Turn that way up, guys. Next one. Ah, don't you love that sound? One more. Okay, is that your whole name? Yeah, Cade. Cade? Okay, push the space bar, which is this one. Push it hard. Okay, now go ahead and do your last name. Did you make any mistakes? 
I don't think so. Wow. Okay. So here's another great sound. Yeah. Delete button weren't invented yet. Okay, here we go. Okay, now grab the paper right here and pull it up. There you go. How about that? All right, good job. You can, you can keep that. Turn around. Cade Eisenbart. Isn't that amazing? And this was literally an incredible invention. This was an important invention. This was one of those things that kind of changed the world, didn't it? Uh, because you had to handwrite things before that or set it in type on a, on a big like press machine. So these were, this is a Smith Corona. It's called a silent secretarial. We actually looked up the, um, the serial number and this is 1947. So it's a few years back before your time. You were never even born. When were you born? 2012. Oh my goodness. All right, so do you know what this is? Yes. What? A $20 bill. Whoa. Whose picture's on there? Uh, do you think I can research it? <laughs> what, do you have like a computer in your pocket or something? No. No. Uh, uh, so that Benjamin is, Franklin. first name is Andrew. All right, you get it anyways. Let's give Kate a huge hand. Well done. Probably first time in his life he's ever typed. There's something about that sound, though, especially mechanical typewriter. Some authors still like to use typewriters. I thank the Lord for the computer. Uh, and I know spell check is a pain, but it's also a wonderful thing. Uh, so anyways, uh, typewriters really made a big difference. It really helped our society. And now, I don't think anyone, does anyone still use a typewriter? Raise your hand if you still, seriously, I should have known. A few of you still use typewriters. But hey, if it isn't broken, don't fix it, right? Okay, so although that is obsolete, for sure, the mechanical typewriter and probably most electric typewriters, you know what isn't obsolete? This ancient book. This is not obsolete. Now, why? Well, look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. And the Bible says this, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth. But, look at this, The word of our God shall stand forever. That's an important thing. And now we have something in this book, a, a large division in this book, we call the Old Testament. And the smaller division we call the New Testament. And when we call one the old and one the new, sometimes we assume that the old means obsolete or the, the old means retired or the old means irrelevant. What place does the Old Testament have in my life today? That's our question. So we're going to answer that by using a New Testament passage as a springboard that brings us back to something we only find in the Old Testament. And we're going to do that in 1 John 3.12. Look at 1 John 3.12, where it says, not as Cain. Okay, for, so that's a, that's a question. If you don't have the Old Testament, you don't know who that is, right? Who was of that wicked one and slew his brother, 
You don't know who that is without the Old Testament. You don't know what happened. The details of this, uh, slew is killed. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. So we, we get some clues, but we don't know any detail from the New Testament passage here. And there's another place in Titus and, and in Hebrews that mentions this sad episode. So how do we find out more about Cain and his brother and this episode that happened? And how, how would it apply to my life? And we're going to go back at the end and look at this passage in context. And it's going to be remarkable how this story is going to help you today. Okay, that's why we're saying it's not obsolete. We got to take the whole entire scripture. This is one Bible. Uh, now, the New Testament is unique in that it is, uh, it is the testimony of the life of Jesus. It was predicted in the Old Testament by the prophets. It was typified by the, the sacrifices and the feasts. But it's been fulfilled in Jesus, and, and Jesus is God, and, and he's the one that will uh, help us know what God is like. And Jesus also, as God, paid for our sin. He paid for Cain's sin. He paid for all of the sins in the world. And so that's what we call the New Testament. It's basically the four Gospels and then uh, the writings of uh, the early church, the book of Acts. And then it's just basically a bunch of letters to different churches and people in that time. And this has all been completed. What we call the New Testament is actually quite old as well. It's all been completed for over 2,000 years. And so how is it that this Bible that has so many different people that penned it over so many centuries could possibly have continuity? But it does. It's a beautiful story that's linear and it, and it all makes sense. And it's a love story. It's a story of how much God loves you. Okay. So we're going to go back at the end and look at first John three and understand why John is using this example of Cain and Abel. Why wasn't Cain Abel? We go back to Genesis. And by the way, we do that all the time. Look at Genesis four. Verse one, we, we don't know a lot of things without reading the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And Adam knew Eve, his wife. They had relations. You all understand that. And she conceived and bare Cain. Now, the names in the Bible are very literal. The names that, uh, that people had were very literal. And Eve said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Guess what Cain means? This is really neat. The word, the name Cain means acquired. I have gotten a man from the Lord. Eve has received from the Lord her first child and actually the first person born. Now remember, I believe sin entered the world very early on after creation. I don't believe Cain had already been born. I believe that they hadn't had children yet. And so I believe that probably the first sin, the Garden of Eden, the, the, the story we looked at last time, all took place before they had children. One of the, one of the, the curses that God put upon Adam and Eve, and Eve in particular, was a, a troubled childbirth, a painful childbirth. That's one of the reminders that, thank God, only women have to experience, although I experienced it a little bit, 
Um, when I was standing next to Karen and she was having our first and I was holding her hand and, and kind of trying to be, you know, uh, supportive and there for her and kind of uh, uh, rubbing her head and, and, and she wasn't very happy with me. And, and my hand hurt from her squeezing. So I experienced the pain of childbirth. <laughs> I'll need a, a place to stay tonight if any of you have, have a room. But she had to go through the first person to go through that. And listen, she didn't have a doctor. She didn't have a nurse. Now, let me tell you this. I praise God for doctors and nurses and hospitals, right? Um, and some of you will have your children at home. I don't know. I mean, God bless you. I'm glad that you're that brave. But if we have the medical resources, if something goes wrong, you're right there. Okay. That's just my opinion, but I'm right. Okay. Uh, we have a great, a great thing today, and that is emergency personnel. And if something happened, I really love this idea. But she had this, she had this child without a doctor, without a nurse, without a hospital. It's incredible. And she had to go through what she probably thought she was dying, right? And then she has this child and, and the miracle of a baby being born, the first baby being born on this earth. And there was Cain. And she said, Cain, because I've acquired him from the Lord. So we have here the first, the first birth, the first child. So many firsts, by the way, in the book of Genesis. And uh, it says that in verse, uh, uh, verse 2 of Genesis 4, it says she again bare his brother Abel. Okay? So we have another child born. It's another boy. And... Again, Abel means something. It's, it's got significance. It means, and, and I think by naming him Abel, they probably didn't realize the significance of naming him Abel, but Abel means breath or vapor. Does that remind us? Because Abel's life was cut short. He was probably a young man when he died, when he was murdered. Does that remind us what the Bible tells us and that life is a vapor? Life is short. Even if you live to a good old age of 80, 90, 100, compared to eternity, it's nothing. It's nothing. Life is a vapor. Let's remember that today. If you're young, remember that. Because you think you have forever, you don't. The older we get, the more we know we don't. Life is short. Let's use every moment to glorify God. And then it says... That Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. We have more firsts, right? We know Adam and Eve's occupation where they were tenders of the garden. Let's call them gardeners. And now we have another first occupation. We have a shepherd. And we have another occupation. We have a farmer. These are the first people that ever did those things. And those are respectable, important occupations. How many of you today earn your living by shepherding? Raising livestock? Uh, farming? Any of you not gardening? Not putting your little tomato plants in the ground? How many of you earn your living by farming? Is there, are there, are there, there's no one in here that works hard. No. <laughs> hey, we better thank our farmers. We do. And we live in an urban area, a, a suburb of Chicago. But I tell you, they are the important people of our 
country. And we should respect them and honor them and thank God for them. One of our uh, recent uh, gubernatorial uh, a, uh, debate was going on, and one of the candidates was mocking Karen's cousin, Darren Bailey, because he was a farmer. I'm like, are you kidding me? We need people like that. How many of our, of our founding fathers and our, those that, that served in the early Congresses were, were farmers? Lots of them. It's important. It's important. So we have here these first occupations. And I love it, thinking about firsts. Also, Abel was a, the first sibling. The first one that had a, a sibling was, was Abel and Cain. They had this, this friendship, probably, at, cer- at a certain point. It obviously didn't stay that way. And then in Genesis 4-3, the Bible continues to tell us about Cain and the story. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Now that's on its face seems really good, right? He's bringing an offering to the Lord. And, and I think that in and of itself is good. It's a good thing. But we have a problem, and we'll read about that in a second. So Cain is a farmer, and he brings the abundance of what he had grown and harvested. He brings that to the Lord as an offering, as a sacrifice. And Abel, verse 4, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. So a very different sacrifice, both from their occupations. Abel brought an animal. Abel probably brought a lamb. And the, the good of it, now, uh, we, we usually trim off fat, but fat is the flavor, folks. Fat is the flavor. And he brought the good, he brought the best. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and who his offering, and you, you're going to start to say, why? Why did God have respect for Abel and his offering, but unto Cain, verse 5, and to his offering, he had not respect? Why? And, and by the way, how did we, we don't read about how, how would Cain have known that God didn't have respect for his offering? And how would Abel have known that God respected his? Leviticus actually tells us that um, sometimes the fire of, of heaven would come down and consume the sacrifice. And I'm, I'm thinking that's probably what happened. And, and Abel's sacrifice was consumed by a supernatural fire and Cain's wasn't. And Cain, the Bible says, look at the rest of that verse, was very wroth. And his countenance fell. This is a sad situation, folks. His countenance fell. Why? Why did God not accept Cain's sacrifice? Well, let's go back a chapter and look at Genesis 3, 21. And Adam, put that verse up there. There we go. And unto Adam also and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them. Folks, if you're making clothes of skin, what did God do to do that? You don't skin a live animal. God 
Because of sin, Adam and Eve had clothed themselves with their own works with leaves. And God said, that is not the, the, the thing that you need. You need to be clothed with an animal skin. Why? To remind them of how bad it was what they had done. The seriousness of sin required blood from an innocent animal. And I'm sure they had spent all this time with the animals in the Garden of Eden, and it must have been a pleasure because we enjoy, you know, dogs and cats and, well, dogs and, um, you know, lambs and, you know, cute little furry animals. Uh, we don't really enjoy like grizzly bears. Oh, they're so cute. And, you know, lions and, uh, you know, poisonous snakes. Some people do. I don't. Okay. We don't really enjoy all of creation, but they enjoyed all of that. Even dinosaurs, none, none of the animal kingdom would ever harm the humans. So they must have had a wonderful time. And by the way, the Bible says the millennium will be like that, the future kingdom of Christ on the earth, which you'll be a part of if you are saved. And so it must, be, it must have been a wonderful time. But then they see God killing this cute, innocent animal. And that blood, you know, it's, especially for us, it, we're, we're city-fied. Uh, we live in, in societies where you're, you're probably not out back cutting the head off the chicken. You're probably going through a drive through line and getting McNuggets, which aren't chicken, I don't think. Okay. But it's a whole nother thing when you go out back and some of you have done this, right? Raise your hand if you've done this with a chicken or a bird or, or, or a cow, whatever. It's, it's, it's hard. You're killing an animal and you're seeing blood coming out. And, and, and why, did, why did God institute this? Because he had to remind us over and over and over again the seriousness of sin and rebellion against him. It was an important picture. And Adam and Eve had to see that. And then we know that others had to see that throughout history. Look at Hebrews 9.22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Why? This is the key. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Okay? Why was it that a blood sacrifice, an animal sacrifice was important? And, and, and I believe this is a big part of the problem with Cain. I don't think it's the only problem with Cain, but it's a big part of the problem with Cain. He did not bring an appropriate sacrifice. Other people will disagree with me and they'll say, you know, it's because uh, because some people brought uh, fruit or, or, you know, grains to the Lord in the, in the temple sacrifice and God and God wanted that. But and that's part of it. I think I think the it, it was it was more than just the sacrifice, but I think it was an important part of the problem that God didn't accept Cain's offering was because it wasn't a blood sacrifice. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Now, the shedding of animal blood would never take away sin, but it would cover sin, and you would have a restoration of fellowship with God. And Jesus made that ultimate sacrifice and paid for your sins once for all. He says it is finished. The last uh, words that he said on the cross, he shouted out, which must have been ex- extremely painful to, to do that, but he did that. He said, tetelestai, which means paid in full. It is finished. That was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect human sacrifice that you and I couldn't make. 
Jesus made it because he was God in the flesh, didn't sin, had no sin nature, died for your sins and rose again. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. First typified by the animal sacrifices, reminding us of the seriousness of sin and then fulfilled in Jesus. Then in Hebrews 11, we also read in verse four, by faith, Abel, okay, how would you know Abel if you didn't know the Old Testament? By faith, Abel offered unto God a, what does it say? A more excellent sacrifice than Cain, okay? By which he obtained witness. What was his witness? Well, remember, you're going to read in a second here, I don't want to spoil it for you, but Cain killed Abel. And Abel now has a testimony that speaks beyond the grave. And and read it here. By which he obtained witness, a testimony for future generations, that he was righteous. Was he righteous because he brought an animal sacrifice? No. He was righteous because he knew he was a sinner and he put his trust in the Lord. And this animal sacrifice was evidence of that. Okay? God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. He's still speaking to us today. Abel is speaking to us today. And so is Cain. Before Jesus was sacrificed, shedding blood was the way to approach him. And there were five types of animals that would be brought as sacrifice. There was oxen and sheep and goats and turtle doves. And pigeons. Now, there were other sacrifices that were not animal sacrifices, like um, flour offerings, wheat, barley. There was olive oil, frankincense, and grape juice. But the, the non animal sacrifices were not as necessary, as important to God as the animal sacrifices. Those were the important offerings, the blood offerings. And then Jesus came, look at Hebrews 9, 12. Jesus came to fulfill the law and to become the final sacrifice, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but what? By his, this is Jesus' own blood. He entered in once into the holy place. This is the holy of holies. And I don't believe this is the holy of holies on the earth. This is the, the holy of holies on the earth. The temple on the earth was a replica of what is in heaven. We read about that revelation. So Jesus, by his own blood, entered into the holy place. He brought that sacrifice to the Father. Having obtained eternal redemption. There's our theme today, redemption for us, okay? And it's a one-time offering, a one-time sacrifice, but it was a blood sacrifice. So I think that's part of the reason that God rejected his sacrifice, but I don't think it was the only reason. And the, the, the reason I think that is because in Matthew 15, verse 8, it says, that the people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In other words, there are people that bring sacrifices. There are people that come to church. There are people that are religious, but their heart is far from God. It's so important that when we 
come before the Lord to worship, to fellowship with him, that our heart is right. You say, well, how do I do that? Just be humble and say, Lord, I've failed and and I need your help today. Bring your heart closer to him. Maybe you're here because you were dragged here. Maybe you're here because you feel guilty. But I hope that you're here and I hope that you love God because your heart is close to him. You understand your situation and you've, you've, you've reached out to him in faith and you want to walk in that every day. It's that, that heart of fellowship. How do I know that, that the sacrifice is not the most important thing? It's important and it, and it's the blood sacrifice is important, but that's not the only reason here that God rejected Cain's offering. There's another story in first Samuel in chapter 15 where Saul made a sacrifice, but he was disobedient in making that sacrifice. We're not going to spend the time today to study that through, but look at the verse. It says in verse 22, behold, to obey, to obey is better than sacrifice. To hearken than to the fat of the rams. This is a truth that the Bible tells us that the sacrifice is important, but it's not the most important. By the way, we don't sacrifice today. We don't bring animals to the altar today because Jesus was the final sacrifice. You know, we've recently, uh, are, well, we're actually editing a series right now, and we'll show it to you sometime soon. It'll be released in February on rebuilding the Jewish temple. And we're able to go and interview rabbis. And we went to Texas where the red heifer just left and went to Israel, the red heifers. And we tell the whole story about what's happening right now on rebuilding the Jewish temple. And I'm a little bit um, divided on wanting to do this story. I think it's an incredible story because it proves that we're pretty close to the end times because the Bible predicts the rebuilding of the Jewish temple. But I also know that Jesus paid our sin debt in full. We don't need the sacrificial system. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So in in those ways, I just feel a little awkward. Like I don't want people to support that, but I also want people to know about it, right? Because Jesus paid that, that sacrifice for us. He was that final sacrifice. Every year they'd have to go into the Holy of Holies the inner chamber of the temple, of the tabernacle, and go through a veil, the high priest, one time a year, would provide that day of atonement, Yom Kippur sacrifice, the blood would be put upon the Ark of the Covenant, the cover of the mercy seat. Jesus did that once and for all. And so it's an interesting concept. It's an interesting thing that's happening. And I do believe it points to the fact that the Lord's return is soon. But I don't need that. I don't need that. I believe the people that want it are good-hearted people, and I believe that uh, even the temple that Jesus frequented, uh, it wasn't a godly place and a lot of things. Uh, God's kind of glory was no longer there, but Jesus was still there, and Jesus still uh, respected the temple because it was a place of meeting. But we are the temple of the Holy Ghost now. So obedience is better than sacrifice. Remember that. So there was something deeper here with Cain. Let's look at Genesis 4, 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? You like that old English word? Why is thy countenance fallen? Wroth means burning anger. Countenance fallen means a fallen face. 
And you've seen that, right? When someone's upset, someone's mad, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's someone else, and you just see it in their face. It's hard to hide that. It's hard to hide that when you're mad. It's incredible the communication that your face can give off. We were recently at an event and and there was someone there that had hurt our family deeply. And my heart is full forgiveness for this person. I truly love this person. Uh, This person causes great pain. But when I saw this person, I saw that, that fallen countenance. I saw that, that the face that just showed there was anger. And we've got to get past that, right? Cain's face fell. His countenance was burning. His, his, he was angry because his brother's sacrifice was accepted and his was not. I think this is showing that there was a deeper problem. It wasn't just the sacrifice, although that was part of it. I think it's more than that. Look at verse 7 of Genesis 4. God says to Cain, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? There was a heart issue, wasn't there? There was something else going on with him. There was probably pride in his life. There was probably rebellion in his life. He probably wanted to do it his way and not God's way. And this this pride developed into something that was awful. And then God says, if thou doest not well, look at this. Sin lieth at the door. Sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, this is a little cartoon that I believe really accurately describes sin at the door. And I think it's not advancing. Stand by. There we go. The guy with the crutch and the head bandage and the leg bandage is telling the other guy that's holding the doorknob and the door says, do not enter. And above the door, it says temptation. Then we have this monster on the other side of the door called sin. And this is a a kind of a silly uh, cartoon, but it does illustrate something. It illustrates that there is something that is always trying to get you. And if you're born again and you're, you're a believer, that's, that, that thing that's trying to get you won't keep you from heaven, but it'll certainly keep you from having the joy that you could have, the fellowship that you could have, the impact that you can have, and the rewards that you could have had. Don't open that door. There was one guy that had a real struggle with alcohol. Every day he would go home and he'd pull into the, the bar on his way home. He went to get counseling and the counselor said, you know, I've got an idea from you, for you. Don't go that way home anymore. And, and, and that's all it took. Don't, if there's something like that, that, that you know there's a problem, protect yourself. Get someone to help you with accountability. Get somebody to be praying for you. Don't open that door. That's what God said. Sin lieth at the door, and that sin is going to rule over you. Genesis 4, 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. 
sad, sad saga of this world. Cain opened the door. His jealousy turned into rage, and his rage turned into murder. And this year, 25,000 people have been murdered in this country, in the United States. 25,000. Think of the millions of people that have been murdered since Cain's murder. And by the way, we also need to mention the preborn babies that have been murdered. 63 million beautiful, innocent, preborn babies have been murdered since 50 years ago today when Roe versus Wade was decided. 50 years ago today. Now, praise God, in June, the Dobbs decision overturned Roe versus Wade and gave it to the states. And what did our state do? Our state gave protections for people that want to murder preborn babies from other states. I am so burdened by our state and the horrible things that are being passed. Murders, violence, it's all a result of jealousy, of rage, of wrath, of rebellion against God. And then we look at Jude. Jude only has one chapter, so we say Jude, verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. How'd you like to be part of this list? You have Cain and read greedily after the error of Balaam, a guy that uh, wanted to curse Israel and uh, for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah, one that rebelled against Moses and led a rebellion. How'd you like to be part of that team of three people? Woe unto them. Don't be like them. Beware, be warned. So what was the outflow? What, what happened? Well, in Genesis 4, 9, and the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And this is the famous line. A lot of things that we say in society, isms, actually come from the Bible. This one is. He said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? What is the answer to that? You are. You are not just your physical brother, but your spiritual brothers and sisters. And he said, what hast thou done? Of course, God knew. God needs us to say it. And the voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thine hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. How sad. How sad. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. So even in this judgment, God is still merciful. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any find him that should kill him. What was that mark? Some people say, well, that's where the, the, the dark-skinned race comes from. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. That's racist. I don't know what the mark was, but it was some sort of mark that people would know that he was protected, even though he would be a, uh, a wanderer. He couldn't be uh, in the east of the garden. They'd already been kicked out of the garden, but, but he had to go further east. The Bible says the land of Nod. That actually means vagabond. 
And uh, by the way, his whole line, there was a whole line of people that came from Cain. Um, and, and, and the whole line was killed in the, in the flood of Noah. So that's why we know that's, that's not what the mark was. Because they, they're a, a line that has perished. But uh, he would have then married someone. People see people say, where did Cain get his wife? Like there's great proof against the Bible. Well, how did the first evolutionary blob get his first wife? That was my dad's famous line. It's true though. If that's a problem, we both have the same problem. We actually have less of a problem because the gene pool was a lot deeper back then. And he would have married a sister, a niece, a cousin, someone that was related to him and they had children. But that from, that, from him came this ungodly line that eventually would be destroyed in the flood. One of his descendants, I think it's like six or seven times removed, was Lamech. Lamech also committed murder. You can see what... What happens uh, with the father sometimes happens with the son. It's not the, the, the father's fault always, but it certainly is a, is a truth. And two of his sons, one was Jabal and one was Tubal-Cain, which is really interesting in Genesis 4. Um, Jubal was one that was a maker of musical instruments. People think primitive man was, you know, ugh, woman, give me meat and I grill, you know. I mean, that's kind of how my conversation goes often when it's dinner time, but, but it wasn't like that at all. It was, it was like, these were sophisticated people, sophisticated people. You say, why did they live in caves? Well, some people had to because of whatever the situation was. It was a quick and easy shelter, but I mean, good night. That's, that's not always a sign of being primitive. Have you seen the cave drawings? Have you seen what they, they, they had the ability to, you know, to make um, like super glue, the Neanderthals did. They weren't pre-human. They were humans. Intelligent. Bigger cranial capacity than we have. Okay? So early man. And then, and then his brother, Tubal-Cain, also from Lamech, descendant of, of Cain, uh, was a master of metallurgy. He was one that was uh, excellent at making brass and iron. You say, how, how would they have known all that? It's incredible. How would they have known how to do that? Well, they did. They had the technology. And I think much smarter than we are today. You say, oh, we've got all this, all this modern technology. Well, we've invented certain things and we've accumulated knowledge, but I think individually we're not as smart as those ancestors of ours. Anyways, and then in verse 25 of Genesis 4, it says, Adam knew his wife again and she bare a son and called his name Seth. Aren't you glad that God gave Adam and Eve another boy named Seth. Why am I so happy about this? Because from Seth, eventually we'd come Jesus. From that godly line, Noah, Abraham, David, Jesus, all the descendants of Seth. For God said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. So in light of all that, let's go back to 1 John 3.11. And we already read verse 12, but 3.11 says this. This was our springboard to get back to the story of Cain and Abel. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's why John mentions Cain and Abel and the, the horrible things that happen in chapter 3, verse 12 of 1 John. And then the next verse says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We should be loving each other because we live in a world that's going to hate you. Coach Tony Dungy 
takes a stand for pro-life and is ridiculed and ripped as a white right-wing extremist for being part of the March for Life. When all he cares about is innocent babies. The world is not going to appreciate you and the stands that you're going to take. The hockey player that would not wear the, the LGBTQ shirt in a warm-up and they're ripping him for that. The world is going to hate you. That's why we need to love each other. We're brothers and we're sisters in Christ. We know, verse 14 of 1 John 3, we know that we have passed from death unto life. If, you've, if you're saved, you literally are uh, saved. You're on your way to heaven because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth or walketh in death. If you have someone in your life, especially a Christian, that you don't like and you don't love, fix that. Ask forgiveness from God and go to that person and ask forgiveness and say, I forgive you. Even if they don't seek your forgiveness, still give it to them verbally. Verbally, if you want to do what God says and walk in life and not walk in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. What? That's what Jesus said. I've never killed anybody. I'm a pretty good person. Have you ever hated someone? Have you ever really disliked someone? I think we all have. Then we've all committed murder. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. You say, wait, wait, wait. Does that mean someone that's committed murder can't go to heaven? Well, if that's true, then it means whoever hated his brother can't go to heaven because we're a murderer if we hated our brother, right? So that means no, nobody can go to heaven. No, that's not what it means. It means if you're, and you can look at this up later, First John 2, it really explains all of this is walking in the light, walking in fellowship, abiding in fellowship. If you're not abiding in fellowship with Jesus Christ, you're going to find yourself doing things that the world does. You're going to find yourself at least mentally committing murder. Get your heart right. Get your heart right. Let me uh, close with this. Since you're a murderer, have you ever been forgiven? Have your sins ever been paid? Uh, they've been paid, but have, they been, have you received that forgiveness? Have, have you experienced eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ? The Bible says uh, very simply uh, three verses that I want to share with you and we're going to be done. In John three sixteen, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. There's a God, there's a creator, there's Father, Son, and Spirit. He so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only begotten son. He gave his son, his name is Jesus. And Jesus came and died for our sins and rose again. He paid our price on the cross. That whosoever, I love this verse. That means I don't care what color your skin is, what shade of tan. We're all, by the way, shades of tan. That's all we are. There's no black, there's no white. We're all shades of tan. Um, whosoever, whosoever, that's, that's you. It can be you. Whosoever, what? Believeth in him. What does that mean? It means to trust in him, to put your dependence in him. Not a, not a religion, not yourself, not your good works, but in Jesus, whoever believeth in him should not perish which is hell, which is an eternal separation from God. Hell created for the devil, not for you, but that's the destination of those that reject his love. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have right now everlasting life. I know for sure I'm on my way to heaven, not because I'm perfect. You certainly know that by now after hearing my sermon. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 
I'm sorry, honey, for all the things that I said today. But um, we, we aren't going to heaven because of anything that we have done. But putting our trust in the one that did it all for us on the cross. Okay? Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then, for by grace, in Ephesians 2.8, are you saved through faith? You know that word faith is the same word as believe in John 3.16. One's a noun, one's a verb in the Greek. Okay, this is the noun. You're saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So how can I be saved from my sins? How can you be saved from your sins? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, it can't be, it can't be that easy. It can't be that simple. Well, it's, it's actually quite simple. But for some reason, it's not easy. Because we have to say, I can't save myself. And that, we don't want to say that. We want to say, well, I believe that Jesus did his part. I have to do my part. That No, we're saying he did it all. I can't do anything. And I believe that he died for my sins and rose again. At that very moment of faith, when you make that decision, one time in your life, you're saved. Not just for today, not just for tomorrow or until you mess up, but forever. He paid for all of your sins. And you're receiving that gift. You're believing in Jesus And if you'll do that, the Bible says you've passed from death to life. You're born again. Now walk in that light. Don't hate your brother. Don't hate your sister. Don't hate uh, those that are spiritually your relatives. Love them. Love them. The Bible says to love your enemy. So if there's something between you and someone else here or someone else anywhere, forgive them and ask forgiveness from God and from them.